I would so appreciate your help today with this. Uh, you may be going, well, what can I do? <laughs> it's like, you're the one talking, brother. <laughs> well, there's more to it than that. Um, your faith and your expectation enables the Lord to say things in here. And what I need him to do today and what you need him to do today is say things I don't know. And I have a sense that what you and I are getting off into this morning for the next few minutes is way over my pay grade. Uh, we're getting into some deep stuff today, but I believe if you'll hear it and you'll receive it, there's healing in it. There are miracles in what you and I are about to see and, and experience today in the word of God. Go to the book of Second Chronicles, and if that's hard to find, we'll put it on the screen. But we've been looking at this verse together for the last number of weeks, and getting ready for dedication weekend, and so excited about it. So excited about it. I said, so excited about it. <laughs> there you go. And we're looking here in the Old Testament um, to their dedication weekend. Uh, they had a dedication of the temple, and it's hard not to try to say everything there is to say that the scripture says about this, but man, what a time they had. David, King David, got, got it in his heart so big, I want to build God a house. We've talked about it some before, but let me remind you, he was walking around his house one day looking at how God had blessed him and the beauty of his house, and he got... He got kind of frustrated by it. He's like, man, it's not good. I have this palace and God lives in a tent. He said, no, I'm building him a house. But the Lord spoke back to him through the prophet and he said, no, you're not going to. And uh, he said some things to him that I imagine were difficult to hear. And the Lord talked to him. He said, you know, you've been involved in a lot of war and there's been a lot of bloodshed and I can't let you build it. He did tell him though, I'll let you get ready for it. I'll let you prepare for it. And I'm so excited because that's next week's message. <laughs> but man, he, he prepared. And I got to correct something I've been saying to you. I was studying this again and I thought, man, I, I got this wrong. I've been telling you that David and others invested hundreds of millions of dollars into that temple. I was wrong. It's billions billions and not just one or two. I, I kind of tremble at even telling you what the numbers translate to when you look them up, because it's hard for us to even wrap our mind about it, but what you, wrap, wrap our mind around it. But what you need to understand about it is that was all heart coming out. I know it looks like a bunch of money, but it, more than a bunch of money, it was heart, his heart for God, his heart for the things of God. And he said, okay, I can't build it, but I can, I can give you some money for it. I can receive the offering. I can collect. And David personally, personally gave $6 billion to the building of the temple, the house of the Lord. Now listen to me. You can't buy a miracle. You can't buy a healing. You can't buy salvation. You can't buy the presence of God, except to say that how you express what's in your heart is what opens a door. Yeah. 
for the supernatural. And man, he went for it. And when his reign came to an end and his son Solomon took the throne, Solomon picked right up where David left off and he went to work. David gave the money. Solomon went to work and they brought in the silver and the gold and the cedar and the fabrics and every detail of this was so attended to. And he went to work, not just for a day or two, a week or month. It took years, years. How many know it's, it's easy to get excited about something in the beginning, but when it starts taking longer and maybe longer than you thought it would, it's easy to grow weary in well-doing, like we read a moment ago. But man, he stuck with it. And when you get to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, the chapters leading up to it, Solomon has just been praying. When they finished the building of the temple, they finished it. Somebody say they finished it. Sarah and I have been involved in a couple of building projects in our life. Not too many, but I will say this. It's easy to work to get to a place where it's good enough. Everybody ever, ever experienced that before? Maybe you're building a house, right? And it's taking longer than you wanted it to. And all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. I know we want a carpet. We'll, we'll walk on concrete. It's fine. Um, do, babe, do we have to have paint on the walls? No paint. You know what I mean? You, you get to a place where it's like, let's just get in it. If you've ever done that before, then you know as well as I do. That's a dangerous place because you come to a place where you're tired of building, right? You're tired of the mess. I just want to lay in my own bed, right? But I believe one of the things that honored God the most about this was they finished the work. They stuck with it all the way to the end. No matter how much money it cost or how much time it took, they finished it. Somebody say, they finished it. That's a big deal to God. And when Solomon, in verse 1 of chapter 7, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down. God's into this. <laughs> fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, say it with me, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Say it again. For he is good and his mercy endures forever. A couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago or so, we started a series and we've been calling it The Fire and the Glory. Now bear with me because I think I sense a title change coming. <laughs> I'm allowed to do that. I don't know if you knew that or not. Well, let's just follow the Lord here in this. Been talking about the glory of the Lord. And this is what we're so excited about, so stirred up about as we press towards dedication weekend. But I, I feel like you need to understand this. What we're, we're not pressing towards a moment where we're expecting just to see something naturally. We're not talking about getting to May 22nd, May 23rd, or any other date on the calendar, and then everybody kind of looking around going, is the fire falling? Is the fire falling? 
I, I mean, I, I've told it to you before, and I would be thrilled with however the Lord wants to manifest himself. But like I said before, we spend a lot of time and work on this place. I would actually prefer fire not to fall. <laughs> if he wants to do it, he can do it. Now, he is famous for setting stuff on fire without it burning, so that's fine if he wants to do that. But what I'm trying to get you to see here is what, what, what we're focused on is the glory of God, the presence of God manifested in any way he sees fit. And not just on a day of the calendar, but what we're pressing towards is the beginning of something that lasts forever. The beginning of something that has lasting effect. I believe we'll be able to come to that place as we dedicate this to the Lord and to his service having already met for the last several months, we'll be able to say, man, we came up that day. We came up after that. And the presence of God just got stronger and stronger in the church. And every time we gathered together, it was just stronger among us. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what we're anticipating. And what this was on this day the manifestation of the glory of God. Remember what we said the glory was? It's the heavy. This is what the word literally means, glory. It literally means heavy, weighty presence of God. It's heavy. And in this place and other places in scripture, it was literally physically heavy to the place where they couldn't even stand up underneath it. It's the atmosphere of heaven invading the atmosphere of earth. And changing the very makeup of the air around you. And they couldn't even stand up under it. It's the heavy, weighty presence of God. But it also has to do with how weighty it is to you. When you look in the scripture, and even now today, when you talk about weight, you're talking about something of value. You're talking about how you value something. Have you ever heard the expression, give weight to it? What you're saying is I give value to that. There are some people you hear talk and you give no weight to what they say. It's just based on what you know about them or any number of factors. They say it and it's like, well, maybe, but probably not. <laughs> it's kind of what you're thinking. There are other people though. You've experienced this, right? You know them. You trust them. You trust either their knowledge or their experience or, or their, you trust their relationship with God. You trust them. And because they said it, you give weight to it. What does that mean? It means I value that. I value your words to the place where they'll influence and impact my life. And you put enough weight in what somebody says, you'll make a decision, a life decision based on just what they said. That's giving weight. Well, another way of saying that is that's giving honor. Honor. And the reason I say that is because often through the scriptures, the same word translated glory is translated honor because they mean the same thing. Value, weight, to give weight to it. We looked at this verse in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Well, I'm moving too fast. When we look here at what happened in 2 Chronicles 7, this manifested presence of God, here's what I want you to start thinking about the glory of God. It's God on display. God on display. So when you get to 1 Samuel chapter 2, 
In verse 30, the Bible says, The Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. Now, this is a man of God that God sent to the high priest Eli at that time. And there were some bad things, some wicked things going on in Eli's house, the house of the priest. And it was spilling over in the way his sons were conducting themselves in the, in the uh, tabernacle, in the services. They were robbing people's offerings. There was uh, immorality going on, adultery, fornication, all of this at the doing of the priest's sons, his own family. Now, God had spoken in generations before that to the tribe of Levi and the ones that he had set up as priests, and he made promise to them. And this is what he's talking about. I said, indeed, your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. How many know that's a, that's a high place? That's a privilege. That's an honor. And God had already put in place such blessing for the priest and such blessing for his family. I mean, he took such marvelous care of these people that there was no shortage. They never supplied. They didn't go hungry. They didn't go unclothed. They were always provided for. But yet his sons, in their greed and covetousness, went after more and more and more. And God had enough of it. And that's why he said, you know, I made a promise that your house and, and, and your, the house of your father would walk before me. But this is what he said. But now the Lord says, far be it from me for those who honor me. What did he say? I will honor. But then he said, those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. When we hear the word despise, our immediate thought is, ooh, gross, I hate that. But you really get a better sense of what that actually means when he says, you despise me, you'll be lightly esteemed. Really, to despise something is really just to give very little weight to it. Not think much of it. So take what you know about honor and what you know about glory. It's that heaviness, it's that weightiness. And what God is saying is, those who give weight to my things, I'll give weight to their things. Hmm? Those who find my things valuable, I find their things valuable. Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who, this, I, I just got to say it and hope you get it. Those who give me glory, what's he going to do? He'll give you glory. But you see, on the other hand, what he's talking about, those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Those who don't put any weight to this, those who don't value this, those who don't think enough of this to give it any time, to, to sow anything into it, those who could take or leave it. And again, he's not just talking about people who hate it or are violently against it. It's just people who are kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. You go to church? Uh, sometimes. You see what I'm saying? People who don't think enough of it to put value and weight in it. And then finally, we looked at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
In verse 16, he said, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now listen to these words, for our light affliction. Now remember, all the verses leading up to this, remember we talked about this, we're pressed on every side. Remember we talked about that just a couple of weeks ago, hard pressed, pressured on every side. He said, we're pressed, but we're not crushed. He said, we're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're, we're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. Now listen, to, he, he's talking about the condition they were in. Uh, pressed and persecuted and perplexed and struck down. This doesn't sound like your best life now, does it? <laughs> well, it's all in how you look at it, though. Because this is the same chapter and just a few verses before it where you read down into it until he says, our light affliction. When's the last time you called pressure from every side light affliction? When's the last time you called being perplexed and being persecuted and being struck down? Oh, that's, that's light affliction. Let me give you a word to start using when these things come up. And I think it helps put what's going on in your life really in perspective. When, when the pressure sets in and you're being persecuted and you, and you got questions that you need answers to and you just feel struck down, here's how I want you to start responding to it. You ready? I'm not sure how to spell it. Write it in your notes however you want. But that's a good way to start responding to it. Can you say that with me? Say this after me. What are you saying? It ain't even worthy of English. <laughs> it's, not, it's not worthy of, it's certainly not worthy of my worship. But people are problem worshipers. Have you found that out? Well, I don't worship the problem. Well, let's, let's find out if you do. How much are you talking about it? How much are you thinking about it? How often are you sharing it with others who may or may not have asked? And let me just throw this in here while I'm making people mad. Social media is not where your emotions belong. That's not your place to vomit up your feelings about everything. Be bigger than that. Be more grown up than that. Are we worshiping the problem? Now we're not going, oh, problem, we worship you. Oh, problem, how great you are. We may not be saying those words, but the more you talk about it, and the more you think about it, and the more you meditate on it, and the more you gripe about it, and the more you complain about it, what are you doing? Oh, problem. How great are you? What does great mean? Big, heavy, weighty. You got to learn to do what the scripture said. What do you call it? Light. Light affliction. That's not the title of this message, by the way. It's not the title. Although maybe it would be a good one. He said our light affliction, which is what? 
but for a, how long is this going to last? A moment. But it's been going on days. Get some perspective. Get some perspective. Learn to call it a moment. And it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Exceeding and eternal weight. So what's he doing? He's comparing these two things. He's comparing what's going on naturally and what you can see. And he's comparing that to what's going on in the spirit and in the realm you can't see. And he's saying one of these things is light and momentary. The other thing is exceedingly heavy and eternal. I mean, if something lasted 10 years, how long is that compared to eternity? Man, this has been going on for years, 10 years, 12 years. Okay, we'll compare that to the next 10,000. And how long is it? Momentary. Light and momentary. He said, the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. So I'm interested, after talking about this over the last several weeks, how do we get more of it? This glory, this manifested presence of God, this God on display in our lives. Go to the book of John, chapter 11. God on display. I like that. And that's really very scriptural, and we'll look at scriptures about it today, but um, the New Testament says that the grace of God, the salvation of God has appeared to all men. Appeared. God on display. John chapter 11. This whole chapter is the account of Jesus standing at the tomb of Lazarus. I want to come at this kind of funny today, so bear with me a little bit. I was feeding on this so much this week. And uh, late last night, early this morning, man, I'm making notes. And it finally got to the point where the Lord just said, stop. Stop. So I've got a couple of things here, but man, I'm excited to see what is, is about to come. Because... He just kept drawing me back into the spirit. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. In John chapter 11, Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus. And I, I want to start with the end of the story. Because you know it. I don't want to pretend you don't. Um, Jesus said in verse 39, take away the stone Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time, there is a stench. He stinks, for he's been dead four days. You say funny things when your soul is in trouble. 
I bet she looks back on this now and said, what would I care? <laughs> what is she concerned about? Embarrassing Lazarus? <clears throat> oh, he smells bad. <laughs> but you know, her soul is, is in a way, is in a condition. She said, Lord, by now, you know, he's been in there four days. By now he, he stinks. There's a stench. And... Uh, Jesus said to her, listen to this, verse 40, did I not say to you that if you would believe, what would happen? You would see the glory of God. So this glory we've been talking about, the heavy, weighty presence of God, it should come as no surprise to you that faith is involved. And I have to say that because I think many, many, many Christians, much of the body of Christ would be quick to acknowledge, oh, yes, we want the glory of God. We want to see the glory of God. We want the presence of God. But then when you say, okay, how? How do we see that? How do we experience that? They probably look back at you and say, well, he shows up if he wants to. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. And they label that the sovereignty of God. But what did Jesus say to Martha? Didn't I say to you that if you would do what? Believe. If you would believe. If you, if you would believe, you would see the glory. What does her faith have to do with this? If he's just sovereignly going to do what he wants to do. Why say that? Why require something of her? Is it possible that her faith or lack of it has something to do with how this whole thing's going to turn out? You can tell that's not widely accepted, but it is all over the Bible. How many times did Jesus tell people, your faith made you whole? No, the sovereignty of God healed them. That's not what Jesus said. It was the power of God. That's not what Jesus said. He said, your faith has made you whole. He said, all things are possible to him who believes. He keeps bringing it back to your faith over and over and over. Your faith is the great connector to you and God. It's your access to him. It's your access to his life. It's your access to his power. It's your access to his provision. But don't kid yourself and don't be deceived thinking, well, if he wants to, he will. If he doesn't, he won't. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. That's not what Jesus said. And evidently, standing here at this tomb, we know why Jesus is there. We know what he's capable of doing. We know what he wants to do. And yet he's talking to Martha about her faith. Why? Huh? Because it's required. It's what pleases him. And without it, there is no pleasing him. And he said to her, didn't I tell you if you would believe you would see the glory of God. Now, we've already talked about this earlier today, but what is faith? What is belief? It's a response. 
And faith comes by hearing, hearing the word. Remember I told you it's communication. So the word God is speaking to you. Faith is you responding to what you've heard. So in other words, you cannot have faith, quote unquote, for anything that you don't have a word on. It has to start with the word. And we have faith for our healing, but only because we've got word on it. We've got faith for our salvation, but for one reason only, we've got the word on it. Without that word, what you're believing, you made up. You know what that's called? Make believe. You've got to have a word. You have to have the foundation of the word. God speaking to you by his word. God speaking to you by his spirit. See, you got to know your Bible. There's got to be a living fellowship and relationship with your Bible. What do you mean? Like read it? Yeah. Yeah, but how much? I don't know. Like every day. Yeah. Every day. It's a lamp. It's a light. And without it, you are stumbling around in the dark. You've got to have a word. But once you have that word, now faith is present. I've got something to respond to. Now, you know how this whole thing is. In verse 41, they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. You've heard me. I know that you always hear me. Man, I love his confidence when he prays. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. So let me ask you, did they see the glory? But no fire fell. See, this is what I'm telling you. You got you to gotta open up your expectation and consideration of what the glory is and how it manifests. This man was dead and had been, and now he's not. What did they just see? The glory. We talked about it last week, Resurrection Sunday. What was it that raised Jesus from the dead? It was the glory. It was the glory. How do we know that? Well, the Bible says it was the glory. And then we know that his body that was raised by the glory became a glorified body. And that's what the glory does. Among other things, it raises the dead. And I'm not just talking about from physically dead to physically alive. Anything that's died, anything that's dying, any degree of death that's at work. And that's what any form of sickness is. I don't care if you're talking about a cold or cancer. It is death at work. It's death at work. And you know what you need? You need the glory to fill the temple. You need the glory and the fire of God to consume that and whatever's not of God to burn it up and uproot it. You need the glory. And that's what the glory does. It raises the dead. So that's the end of the story. I think we got to go back and find out how that happened. We've already seen faith was involved. 
But even that needs, I think, further clarification because I, I think people to a degree think faith is saying you're in faith. And that's certainly a start. But just like honor, faith is of the heart. It's always a heart issue. It's what God is looking at. It's, it's where he communicates to, and it's what communicates to him, the heart. And people asking all the time, how do I know if I'm in faith? I don't know if I'm in faith. Am I in faith? Am I doubting? I don't know. Well, the word helps make it so clear. I think we may take time to look at, this, look at this in the coming weeks, but in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, one person after another, Old Testament, and it brings it into the new, but it, by faith, this one did this. By faith, this one did that. By faith, Abel offered unto God. By faith, Enoch had this testimony, he pleased God. By faith, Noah prepared an ark. By faith, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, Moses chose to suffer with the people of God rather to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Every one of these things were by faith. So you look back at them and you go, okay, well, if I'm doing that, if that's showing up, I'm in faith. I'm in faith. How does faith express? Huh? How is faith on display? We're talking about God on display. Well, faith can be on display. So let's back up to the first part of this chapter, John 11. What opens the door to the glory? If it's not just whatever, based on whatever mood God is in that day, then that's what people are saying. Sometimes he will, sometimes he won't. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Okay, so you're saying he's a little moody and you got to catch him at the right time. Think about what they're saying. No, he's faithful. He's constant. He's consistent and he's the same. How often? Yesterday, today, and forever. So there's got to be something else that opens the door to that manifested presence and heavy, weighty glory of God. And the good thing is when you find out what opens the door, at the same time, you're going to find out what's been keeping it closed. What has kept this door to the glory of God closed in your life and in your family? Let's find out. John chapter 11, verse 1. says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. Verse 2. It is that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil, wiped his feet with her hair, What's interesting about this, we're reading John 11. She didn't do that till John 12. Now, just from a natural standpoint, John's writing here, and you've noticed this before, there's a handful of Marys in the scripture. And so, just naturally speaking, you could just be making distinction, wanting to know the Mary I'm talking about here. But think about what you know already about Mary and Martha, her sister, and Lazarus, their brother, this family. 
What happened in the book of Luke? You remember this chapter 10? Jesus and his disciples were just on their journey. And it said a certain woman named Martha went out and welcomed him into her house. I've loved this account in scripture for so long. I see so much in it. But I see more in it today than I ever have before. And if you look at the way the scripture's uh, written and the way it reads, it seems to me, and I could be wrong about this, smarter people than I probably could answer this, but it seems to me this is where they met. Just the, just the tone it has when you read it. A certain woman, right, named Martha, welcomed him into her house. Now, Jesus didn't get that everywhere he went, did he? He preached in a lot of different kind of places. Jesus preached in synagogues. Jesus preached on mountaintops. Jesus preached in the bow of a boat off the shore. He preached to thousands. He preached to hundreds. And he was not met with this kind of welcome everywhere he went. As a matter of fact, there were times when he would preach in the temple or in the synagogue where it seemed like the whole first two rows were sitting there waiting for him to just say something wrong. And the Bible tells us they looked for something to catch him in. I mean, how would you like that? If somebody followed you around everywhere you went, writing down everything you said, waiting for you to slip up, waiting for you to say it just a little wrong. Ah, 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 wrong, ah, wrong, heretic, blasphemer, kill him, crucify him. They're just waiting on it the whole time. I preached in some rough places, but thank God the first two rows weren't waiting to crucify me. And I say that because it makes a difference. It makes a difference on the minister. It makes a difference in the atmosphere of the room. And we want this place to be an atmosphere full of faith and love, right? So love isn't walking around looking for people to mess it, mess it up, miss it. Love's not looking for faults all the time. Love's not, oh, you didn't, you didn't say that just right. Uh, shame, shame. It's not love. But I'm telling you, he's preached to that. He's talked to that. He's met face to face with that. Who knows how many times, but this day's different. He's actually got somebody that met him on the road and said, please, I want you in my house. You are welcome in my house. And he went in. Now you remember the whole story. Martha welcomed him in, but bless her heart, she did what you and I have done and so many of us. She got distracted right in the middle of it and she, she lost her focus and train of thought on what Jesus was saying. And she said, I got to feed him and I got to feed these people. So she goes in there to cook. But remember Mary, right? She sat at his feet, at his feet, at his feet, at his feet. What is that? When you bring yourself low and you give somebody else a higher place, what is that? Honor. Honor. She sat at his feet and she heard his word. And you remember the whole thing. Martha kind of lost her cool about it, and, but Jesus helped her with it. He said, look, you're worried. You're troubled about many things, but Mary's chosen the good part, the one thing that's needful. What's he saying? She's putting weight in this. She's giving weight to what I'm saying. And don't get upset with her if she ain't giving weight to what you want to cook a meal. 
She's sitting out there going, no, I'm eating this. I'm feeding on these words. And Mary, whether she realized it or not, was essentially saying to Martha and to you and me for all time, man doesn't live by that bread alone, but by every word that's coming out of his mouth. She's sitting there feeding on it and feeding on it, valuing it, honoring it. And then you get to this place in John 11 and you read it was Mary, verse two, who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet. This woman lived at his feet. This woman took every opportunity she could to get to his feet. Honor, value, respect, glory. And what's interesting to me about this is that it's written in chapter 11 and she doesn't do that till chapter 12. What's that tell you? It's of the heart. This is where you start bending the laws of time and physics. God saw in her heart what she would do for him. Now what she and Martha didn't realize was that by welcoming him into their home, they would give Jesus access to their brother when he died. Now, you can't know that. You can't know that Brother Lazarus is going to suddenly and mysteriously fall ill and be dead in a short amount of time. Oh, so what should we do? Oh, we should cook a meal for Jesus. Remember we talked about earlier, making these connections? People don't see that. But their value and their honor for him. And what was in Mary's heart for him. Can you just, can you just hear it? The father going. I see what you're about to do for him and I'm going to honor you for it now. The honor of God. The honor of God. Verse three, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, the one whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, you have to stop hearing that through generations of bad preaching. He did not say God made him sick. What did he say? This sickness is not unto death, but let me paraphrase unto glory. And people think he's saying, well, you know, God did this so that Jesus could get glory. Wrong. All he's talking about is how this thing's going to end. How this thing will end up, what the result will be. This sickness will not end in death. Well, I thought he died, but it didn't end there. It's not going to end in death. It's going to end in glory. That's what's in his heart. That's what's in his mind about this. And the next verse says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Just in these first few verses, how many times have we been told how much he loves them? He loves them. Now I need to mention this to you here because this is important. And it's connected to what we've already seen. Their love for him. Well, he loves everybody. Why is he raising everybody from the dead? Yes, he does love everybody, 
but not everybody has returned that love. Not everybody has responded or received that love and responded to it. Do you remember being in elementary school and writing that little note to that little girl or little guy that I like you, do you like me? Circle one, yes or no. And that's romance, isn't it? I'm not trying to dumb it down here, but do you realize that's basically what the word of God is? This is him going, I love you. Do you love me? I love you. Do you love me? Because this is what defines us. I know he first loved us, but you don't get any of it. You don't experience any of it. That love doesn't do anything for you until you respond to it. The Bible says we know that all things work together for the good. And sadly, so many people stop right there, don't they? We know all things work together. Well, I'm sick, but I know all things work together. It's back to that bad doctrine, man, bad teaching. That wasn't the end of the verse. All things work together. Now, stop right there. He did not say all things work out. That's how people hear it. That's how people understand it. It's not all things work out. He said all things work together. This is what you need going on in your life. You need these things working together. You get more done with added strength and added power when you're not working on your own. There's a working together. And the Lord's been dealing with me about this. And so I've been saying it over and over. It's working together. All things are working together in my life. Uh, His word and my spirit are working together. His grace and my faith are working together, right? His Holy Spirit, my spirit, they're working together. If you've been sick and you got a bad diagnosis and you're on medication, say this, that medicine and my body are working together. They're not fighting each other. There's a a working together going on. There's a working together. And that's what you and I can believe God for, that working together. But he said this, all things work together for the good of those who love him. Are all things working together for everybody? No, all things are only working together for a relatively very small group of people who the ones that love him, love him. We're defined both by his love for us and our response, our love for him. And sad to say it, most of the rest of this world has no time for him, much less any love for him. And people can't figure out, man, how's God watching over six, seven billion people? He's not. I know that messes with your religion. (laughs) Who is he in covenant and responsible for? The ones that have responded. And circled, yes, I do love you. I love you with all my heart. 
I love you with all my soul and my mind and my strength. And even when my life doesn't look like I love you like that, I do it by faith. And you worship him and you love him and you make time for him. And you get up on a Sunday and you come. Why? Because you love him. If you're here for some other reason, go home. Because you're not getting anything out of this. If you're here because of some obligation or some sense of pressure, we, we love you and you're welcome here. But the only way to get anything out of this is with a heart that's open because of your love for him. I love your word. I love your presence. I love Jesus. I love your Holy Spirit. I love your church. I love your people. I love the moving of your spirit. I love your glory. And this love, this love begins to open a door. A door to what? The glory. The glory of God. Can you see how simply welcoming him into their home, sitting at his feet, hearing his word, this, this demonstration of love and faith and what they didn't even know they were doing was securing the resurrection of their dead brother. No idea. And Mary, Mary honored him. Mary gave him access to her family. Mary sat at his feet. Mary heard his words. Mary anointed him with costly oil. Mary wiped his feet with her own hair. Mary did it. Mary gave him access to resurrection life in their family. What I believe is the greatest display of the glory of God short of Jesus' own resurrection. Mary did it. Through her honor, she gave place to the glory in their family. Come into my house, Jesus. Jesus, you're welcome in my house. Come on, just lift up your hands and worship the Lord. Why don't you say it right now if you never have before? Jesus, you're welcome in my house. There's a habit we've gotten into in our, our house. When we pray in the evening with our kids, we just say it every night. Lord, we invite you. We invite you. And we know he's with us. We're not trying to get him to do something he's not done. But we make declaration. We invite you to fill up this house with your manifested presence. Fill it with your love and fill it with your joy and fill it with your peace. In John chapter 14, hold your place here in John 11. We'll put this on the screen. Jesus said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father now, that seems so backwards to us, doesn't it? Well, didn't he love us first? Yes, 
But not until you respond with your love to him do you get access to what that love can do and what that love can show. He said, if you love me, he who loves me will keep my commandments. The one who keeps my commandments is he who loves me. He will be loved by my father. I'll love him. But listen to this. And manifest, and manifest, manifest God on display, manifest myself to him. The Amplified Bible says the person who has my commands and keeps them is the one who really loves me. In other words, he's not all talk. Not just a bunch of I love you talk. It's the one who really loves me and whoever really loves me will be loved by my father. I too will love him. Listen, and will show, reveal, manifest myself to him. I will let myself be clearly seen by him and make myself real to him. How many of you know when the glory of God filled that temple and the fire came down from heaven, God was real that day. There wasn't anybody in that congregation going, is there a God? I know we talk like there's a God, but is there really a God? When he's on display, he's real. I'll show myself. I'll reveal myself. I'll manifest myself to him. I'll make myself easily seen by him. Now you, you answer me this, what possible thing could be going on in your life that a manifestation of Jesus wouldn't fix? Huh? What, what could you be dealing with that more of Jesus wouldn't just take care of? I thought we we're talking about the glory. Yes. Yes. He is the brightness of his glory. That's what he's talking about. If you love me, You'll be loved and you'll see the glory. You'll see the glory. What's that, what's that love doing? It's opening the door. What's that honor doing? It's opening the door. And you could tell his disciples were struggling with this because one of them said to him, how are you going to... How are you going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? You can tell he's got that, that frame of mind that the glory, that's fire, right? So how are we going to see it, but not everybody else is going to see it. But Jesus answered him and said, if you love me, anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with him. Or you could say, when we're welcome into that home, that becomes ours. That house becomes our house. We come and we make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. So back to John 11. It says that verse five, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. Can you see the connection that his love for them is what put him there that day. Well, where'd that love come from? They loved him. They loved him. I like this verse six. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. <laughs> but that's not our response, is it? Man, when you hear somebody you love is sick, 
if you're not watchful, this little panic thing tries to set in. Oh, we got to go. Come on, come on. We got to go right now, right now, right now. The clock's ticking. We got to get there. We got to get there. Why? Acting like that, you may not say it, but your actions say, I'm God. And if I'm not there, how can I fix it? But take a lesson here from Jesus. When he heard that the one who he loved was sick, what did he do? Nothing for two days. Two days. Now that takes discipline of the flesh. It takes the crucifixion of the flesh. And it, what he's really doing is being still and acknowledging that God is God. Be still and know that I'm God and you're not. Be still. And on top of that, sickness doesn't tell Jesus where to go. Jesus tells sickness where it can go. But his life is not motivated and moved by sickness. If you go somewhere because sickness told you to go there, you are not led by the Spirit. Sickness doesn't tell him where to go. Good preaching, Pastor. I know, it's so, so rich. Thank you, Lord. And then after, it says in verse 7, he said to the disciples, let's go to Jerusalem again, or Ju Judea again, excuse me. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again? Can you see what's going on here? This is a trap. Satan's trying to lure Jesus into a trap. This is another reason to sit still. What if he had jumped and run, jumped and ran? Who knows who he could have met along the way? But just sitting still. Let's the Lord, let's the Father choreograph things for you. You don't want to be in a place before you're supposed to be there. You want to be there at the right time, in the right place, doing the right thing. Disciples said to him, they're trying to stone you. You going again? He said, there, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light's not in him. These things he said, and after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. His disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. You don't need to go. They're going to try to stone you. Let him rest. But Jesus, verse 13, however, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, dude, Lazarus is dead, okay? And I'm glad for your sake that I wasn't there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let's go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And the 11 looked at him and said, what are you talking about? <laughs> Quit trying to sound so smart. That's what I would have said. So when Jesus, verse 17, came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. Don't you love it? Ran to him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
Careful about blaming God for stuff. If you had not been here, he would not have died. But she kind of saved herself here, verse 22. Even now, though, I know whatever you ask God, he will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You don't get it. I am. I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. This resurrection you're talking about in the last day, I am it. I am him. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, here's this question. You ready? Do you believe this? What's that matter? Evidently, it does. It matters. Do you believe this? He asks. Now, if he's just going to do what he came to do, what is the point of asking her? Huh? What does it matter? Now, there's a lot about this I don't claim to know and understand. And I do know that people have their own walk with the Lord and they have their own relationship with God. And, and you can pray for them and your faith is effective. And I believe to a degree, but you can never override the will of another person. But at the same time, Jesus is still looking for access into this situation. Now, you can't go talk to Lazarus. You can't say, Lazarus, do you believe I'm the resurrection? The time for that's gone. So who's he talking to? Family. Anybody in here have any family? Don't underestimate the open door that you are to your family. You may not be able to change a will. You, you may not and probably shouldn't try to argue and reason and debate. But what you can do is pray. What you can do is go before the Lord in faith and in honor. And you ask the Lord, I'm asking you to receive my faith. I'm asking you to receive my honor as an open door of access into my family. Or else why is he asking her, do you believe this? Now you may be sitting there going, well, you know, I believe in Jesus and I believe God, but faith to raise the dead? Faith? I don't know if I've got that kind of faith. I don't know if I've got, you know, resurrection from the dead kind of faith. I mean, that's, that's Brother Copeland. That's Brother Keith. That's, that's this one and that one. What did Jesus ask her to believe? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me. That's what he's asking you to believe. And you're going, I can do that. <laughs> Listen to what she said. He said, do you believe this? And she said in verse 27, yes, Lord, I believe 
you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's come into the world. I don't have dead, raising faith. Do you have salvation faith? Do you have John 3.16 kind of faith? Because that's all she said she believed. I believe you're the Christ. And evidently, that was good. <laughs> evidently, said Jesus said, I'll take that. I can, I can work with that. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, she'd said these things. She went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher's come. Now, why is this a secret? Because there's people here that are looking for him to kill him. That's what's going on in all this. So she comes back in and secretly tells her sister, you know who. So as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house, comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose quickly and went out, followed her saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. Oh, she wasn't, you're wrong. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, what'd she do? Fell down at his this woman lives at the feet of Jesus. Do you? Thank you, Lord. Can anybody sense this getting heavier? We're here we are talking about these things, and what's happening? The room is changing. It, it's not a topic of conversation anymore, church. He's here. Thank you, Lord. He's here. She fell down at his feet saying, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Again, here's this thing that's proven to us. This is not just some some mechanical thing that Jesus is going to do. Oh, yeah. Raising the dead. You bet. No sweat. There's things going on in the spirit. There's a groaning. There's a travailing. How do you say it? There's a heaviness on the inside of him. He senses the weightiness of this and what this is going to take. There's a groan in the spirit. He was troubled. And he didn't get drawn into this conversation. If you were here, if you were not here, this would have happened. Maybe it wouldn't have happened. What did he say? Where'd you put him? Where'd you lay him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. And the Jews, who've been wrong about everything, said, see how he loved him? This weeping was not grief. It wasn't grief. This isn't about Lazarus dying. He's, he's troubled in his spirit. He's groaning in his spirit. Remember what's going on all around him. People are looking for an opportunity to seize him, to, to kill him. And you know the end of this story, but if you keep reading in, the ch in this chapter, it was this event that got back to the religious leaders and they said, he's got to go. And they began right there, plotting a way to kill him. And I believe Jesus knows it.
he's standing there at that grave and he knows if I raise this man up, this man up, I'm a dead man. Literally, the nail. This is what's going on in him. And it's this travailing and it's in the spirit and there's a heaviness to it. And he's weeping. Oh, look how he loved him. Shut up. Y'all don't know nothing about what's going on. It's this, this weight that's in him that's about to come out of him. It's this inner glory that if he calls this man forth, there will be such a manifestation of the life and presence of God that it will shoot into that dead, lifeless body and there'll be life in it. But it seals his own fate. And so what's he do? He's standing there and it's heavy on him. And that's when he again groaned in himself and finally he looked up and he said, take away the stone. This is happening. Take away the stone. Prophetic, isn't it? Of what they would be saying about him in just a matter of days. The stones rolled away. Take away the stone. Lord, he stinks. But it's been four days. What did I just tell you? Didn't I tell you? If you'd believe, I don't know if I can believe all that. Do you believe he's the Christ? Yes. Okay. Stay with that. And if you'll believe that, you'll see the glory. You're going to see the glory. Take away the stone. Did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. I thank you. You've heard me. You always hear me. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice. Here comes that eternal, that exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. Glory to God. That's what Jesus is saying this morning. Loose him. Let him go. You've been walking around with grave clothes on. Loose him and let him go. Whatever in you has died or been dying, I command it now in Jesus' name, the glory of God to be poured out in you. This is the hope. This is the mystery. Christ in you, the hope, the expectation, believing to see the glory of God. And David said, I'd have fainted. I would have given up. I would have lost heart if I had not believed to see the goodness of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Stand on your feet with me. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's worship the Lord. What is it that opened the door 
to that manifestation of the glory of God. Well, it was faith. Yeah, but how did faith show itself? Honor and love for Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.